No need to carry cans of gas from the market to heat the water. Here, there are large rooms with shiny wood floors filled with large furniture and a large, large TV. There's hardly a sound in this calm, leafy suburb. No children laughing and yelling. No women downstairs chopping vegetables and gossiping with my mother. No men smoking cigarettes and debating politics. Sometimes, though, even with these thick walls between us, I can hear someone in my family crying for home. But then, my father will burst through the front door, his voice booming. Johnny, he'll say, how was school today? Now, there's no play on words. He's not asking about the school he runs and I attend. But there's a note of worry in his voice, as if he fears I won't be there to reply. Because it was not so long ago that I was nearly killed, simply because I was speaking out about my right to go to school. It was the most ordinary of days. I was 15, in grade 9, and I had stayed up for too late the night before, studying for an exam. I had already heard the rooster crow at dawn, but had fallen back to sleep. I had heard the morning call to prayer from the mosque nearby, but managed to hide under my quilt. And I pretended not to hear my father come to wake me. Then my mother came and gently shook my shoulder. Wake up, Pisho, she said, calling me kitten in Pashto, the language of the Pashtun people. It's 7.30 and you are late for school. I had an exam on Pakistani studies, so I said a quick prayer to God. If it is your will, may I please come in first, I whispered. Oh, and thank you for all my success so far. I gulped down a bit of fried egg and chapati with my tea. My youngest brother, Atal, was in an especially cheeky mood that morning. He was complaining about all the attention I had received for speaking out about girls getting the same education as boys, and my father teased him a little at the breakfast table. When Malala is prime minister someday, you can be her secretary, he said. Atal, the little clod in the family, pretended to be cross. No, he cried, she will be my secretary. All this banter nearly made me late, and I raced out the door, my half-eaten breakfast still on the table. I ran down the lane just in time to see the school bus, crammed with other girls on their way to school. I jumped in that Tuesday morning and never looked back at my home. The ride to school was quick, just five minutes up the road and along the river. I arrived on time and exam day passed, as it always did. The chaos of Mingora city surrounded us with its honking horns and factory noises while we walked silently, bent over our papers in a hushed concentration. By day's end, I was tired but happy. I knew I had done well on my test. Let's stay on for the second trip, said Muniba, my best friend. That way we can chat a little longer. We always like to stay on for the late pickup. For days, I had a strange, gnawing feeling that something bad was going to happen. One night, I'd found myself wondering about death. What is being dead really like? I wanted to know. I was alone in my room, so I turned toward Makkah, 
and asked God, What happens when you die? I said, How would it feel? If I died, I wanted to be able to tell people what it felt like. Malala, you silly girl, I said to myself then, You would be dead and you couldn't tell people what it was like. Before I went to bed, I asked God for one more thing. Can I die a little bit and come back so I can tell people about it? But the next day had dawned bright and sunny, and so had the next one and the one after that. And now I knew I had done well on my exam. Whatever cloud had been hanging over my head had begun to clear away. So Muniba and I did what we always did. We had a good gossip. What face cream was she using? Had one of the male teachers gone for a baldness cure? And now that the first exam was over, how difficult would the next...